here, we're in a summer series called Summer Mixtape. All right, each of our pastors is kind of getting to share something that just God has placed on their heart. And it has been so fun just getting to hear from lots of different people each week. Um, when I was making mixtapes as a youth, all right, it was burning songs from iTunes onto a CD. You know, like you're burning it all down. It's awesome. You create an awesome mix of your favorite songs, and then you get out your giant CD book. And we have those giant CD books. You place them in there, put it under your seat in your car so you can pick out your favorite one for the drive. You label them like Summer Drive or Sad Songs or uh, whatever you want. I didn't have any sad song ones, but I know some people did. Um, but you compile your favorites, right, or maybe your different styles together. You put them in your CD book. Uh, but I found uh, a mixtape of your favorite songs can also sometimes have a negative effect, right? You put all these awesome, 10 awesome songs on there, and then you listen to them on repeat over and over and over again, unless you want to listen to the radio, which is also playing the same 10 songs over and over and over again, right? And then you're like, I hate this song. It goes from being your favorite song. You, had, you put in the work to put it on a CD or a tape or whatever you did. And then now it becomes a negative thing. It becomes not good enough anymore. Our music preferences kind of become like this moving target, right? Depends on the day, our emotions, maybe even the weather, right? Um, in the same way, if we're not continually updating our play playlist or our checking in with Jesus through the word of God and life with other believers and time spent in prayer, our life will become stagnant like that mixtape that you no longer want to listen to, right? Uh, would you stand with me as we read from God's word in Proverbs chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 32. It says, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. The complacency of fools will destroy them. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, that we get to be in a place where we can worship you in safety, where we can experience your word taught to us and experience you in powerful ways. God, I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to change this morning. God, would you open my heart to hear from you today? God, we are ready for you. We are nothing without you. And so, God, we just pause in the middle of all this, in the middle of our lives, just to take a moment and say, God, we are ready. We want to experience you today. We want to learn from your word. We are not here just out of habit or out of checking boxes on our list. God, we are here for you. So, God, we humbly ask that you would see us and speak to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you so, so much. So today we're going to talk a little bit about complacency as this verse kind of um, talks about. One thing that fascinates me in history is the, is the history of flight, okay, airplanes. Simply because of its, like, extreme rapid development for thousands of years— Thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Nobody flew anywhere. There was no such thing as airplanes, okay? People had tried and failed, and it was seemed impossible. Late 1700s, they developed a hot air balloon, right? Not very much a practical solution to travel, 
but pretty much the coolest way you could ever travel. You don't ever know where you're going to end up, but hey, it's the coolest way you could travel, but still not a great solution to flight travel. Another hundred years go by, and people start trying to invent gliders, much like kind of like a hang glider, also a cool way to travel. But in 1899, right, the Wright brothers begin trying to figure out manned, powered, and controlled flight, okay? Other people were also trying to figure this out at the same time. They weren't the only ones. Um, but they were, they were trying to figure out how to go where not just the wind would take you, but where they wanted to go at the speed they wanted to go at. And so 1903, you know, they were first successful recorded flight with a whopping speed of six miles an hour. Six miles an hour. That's how fast a toddler runs down the grocery aisle while laughing and trying to escape your parents, if you don't know. Um, <laughs> so six, six miles an hour. And then, it, then it, it rapidly goes. Okay, so 1912, 1912, not even 10 years later, they break 100 miles an hour in flight. 1931, they break 400 miles an hour. 1947, Chuck Yeager breaks the sound barrier at 660 miles an hour, which they had thought this was going to be impossible, right? Once you break that sound barrier, everything's just going to fall apart. He broke the sound barrier, and then from then on, they were like, there's nothing we can't do. One month later, one month, 891 miles an hour. And in 1967, still the fastest standing manned speed is 4,520 miles an hour. In just over 60 years, they went from not flying to 6 miles an hour to 4,520 miles an hour. You had people that literally were watching us land on the moon that could say, I remember when airplanes weren't a thing. You're like, think about it. That's crazy. Like, I remember when you, there was no such thing as airplanes. But what if after that first flight of six miles an hour, they just said, awesome. That's good. We did it. We're done. Anybody want to take a six-mile-an-hour plane ride? Right. What if they just stopped right there? How different would the world be today? That's what complacency does in our lives. It causes us to stop and think we're good enough. Complacency is the silent killer of growth in our lives. Oftentimes, it tries to mask itself as contentment. See, complacency says, I'm good enough. Contentment is saying, God is enough, right? And maybe you're like, okay, well, complacency, yeah, yeah. Is it really that big of a deal in my everyday life? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Look at God's word. Uh, Revelations chapter 3, um, the, the author is writing to different churches, okay? And these messages to churches are encouragements and warnings to us today. So Revelations chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, uh, the author is writing to a church called a church of Laodicea. And it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So the church of Laodicea, uh, Laodicea was a, a city that was surrounded by other opposite sides of them. They had this lukewarm water that they were known for in their city, okay? 
Um, another city just a little bit a ways away had nice hot springs that were super great. And another city just a little bit up, up the way had really cool and refreshing water. But the, the city of Laodicea was known for this lukewarm water that nobody wanted. Um, it, so it, picture it this way. Imagine tomorrow you go through the drive-thru at Caribou, and they're like, oh, hey, yeah, we don't have iced drinks. We don't have any cold drinks. Uh, and also our hot drinks, they're just like mouth temperature. Like, is that okay? Like, no, I, th I think I'm good. I, I think I'm good, right? You, you don't really want that, all right? This verse is not saying that God wants us to either be hot, like on fire for God, or he would rather you be not even in relationship cold. Some people will use this to try to explain it that way. That's not what God is saying, okay? He doesn't want anybody to be not, he doesn't want anybody to be away from him. That's not his desire. He does not saying, I would rather you just be cold for me. What he is saying is, I want you to be useful. Hot water is useful for healing, for uh, lots of different things, right? Cooking, cleaning, healing, hot tubbing, all sorts of usefulness for hot water. Cold water, refreshing, life-giving, lukewarm water is not useful for anything. When we are complacent Christians, we give up our purpose. God designed us to do good works. He designed us to be a representation of Jesus and his love for the world. And I believe the reason many Americans have a bad taste about Christianity is not because of our beliefs. It's because of lukewarm Christians that have forgotten our main purpose is to live like Jesus. That's our main purpose, is to be a representation of him, a mirror image of Jesus. Our call is to strive every day to be closer to that picture of what Jesus gave us in the Bible, not to stand on the street corner and scream at people because they believe something different than us. He wants us to be like Jesus. So we know being complacent isn't a good thing, yet so many of us continue to find ourselves, ourselves stuck in it, right? No one woke up today and said, man, I really hope I just have an apathetic, going through the motions, complacent life today. That'd be great. No, our, our desire really is to be useful and to have purpose in our lives. Purpose is one of the number one indicators of happiness in your life. When you feel like you don't have purpose, you find yourself in the middle of depression and anxiety, right? Purpose gives us so much. So how, how did we get here? How did we get stuck in complacency? What leads us to complacency? We're going to talk about three things. The first thing is something called self-sufficiency. Everyone say self-sufficiency. The American dream, right? Uh, the church of Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, um, was known for their self-sufficiency. They were known as a city that didn't need help from anybody. In fact, they had an earthquake hit, and in 60 AD, they, Rome was like, hey, we'll send you money so that you can fix your buildings and stuff. And they're like, nah, we're good. We got it. We have enough money. We're good. We're going to fix it ourselves. They literally refused help from Rome because they were that self-sufficient. They were a self-sufficient culture that was comfortable and didn't need help from anybody. Sound familiar? Uh, we have a two-year-old daughter. Her name is Eden. Eden's four favorite words right now are, no, I do it. No, I do it. That's sometimes our favorite words. Um, but she walks, she'll, she'll like walk around in the wrong shoes on the wrong feet simply because she wants to do it. 
or her shorts are on backwards or something like, right? Because she simply said, no, I, I, I do it, right? And then she ends up looking ridiculous or her feet are hurting later. And like, well, if you had asked for help, it could have helped you. Uh, we need to remember, remember that we're not supposed to have everything we need apart from God. We're not supposed to be self-sufficient. God didn't design us to be self-sufficient beings away from him. He designed us to be beings that were constantly in need of him and his guidance and his leading and his protection and his provision. We pride ourselves on self-sufficiency, but what God really desires more is our self-sacrifice. That's what we see through the word. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Die to yourselves daily. Right? He didn't say Go make all the money you can so that you don't have to ask me for anything. He wants us to be reliant on him, to fully rely on him. So self-sufficiency leads us to complacency. When we don't need anything from God, we slip into complacency. The next thing is lack of feedback. Everyone say, lack of feedback. Lack of feedback. All right, without someone speaking into our life or without looking at the Bible and saying, is this what my life looks like, what I see in Scripture? We start to slip into complacency, all right? In other words, our lack of feedback leads to our fallback, okay? Um, we have a new, I don't know if you notice, if you drive through town, we have one of those, like, speed limit indicator signs, like, super awesome, right? Uh, our knowledge, <laughs> when you drive by that, you're like, oh, oh. Oh, man, anybody else do that? You're like, oh, I got to, oops, I was going 32, right? I got to go down 30, right? And here's the science of those. The reason they put those up is not because they're like, hey, people are, are going too fast or whatever. They're, they're not saying people don't know the speed limit. Everybody in town driving through knows the speed limit. You, know, you even have your own little speedometer know, telling you that you're not going the speed limit. But now that that outside immediate feedback, we see it, it changes our behavior. Our knowledge of the speed limit didn't change. The immediate outside feedback changed us, right? If we're not constantly looking for timely and actually good feedback that shows us something that's going on in our lives, right, we don't change anything. Before that was there, I, I didn't look down at my speedometer, even though it was there. Like, I'd just, like, drive whatever the car in front of me is driving and then hope that I'm not getting pulled over or something. If they're speeding, then I'm, I'm toast. But well, hopefully they'll, they'll get caught first, and they're like, oh, I was going too fast. I should slow down. Right? No, but those, those speed limit radar signs, they, they can change. Or maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're like, I'm going to floor it, see how high I can get it. But really, the science proves the reason they put that up is because it, it does change our, our immediate behavior when we drive by that. Even subconsciously, like, oh, okay. Um, so feedback does change us. The Bible tells us these things in James 5.16. It says, confess to one another your sin and pray for each other. Okay? It's telling us, be accountable with other people. Tell them what you're dealing with, what's going on in your life. Proverbs 27.17 says, iron sharpens, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You need other people in your life that are, are saying, hey, I, I see you're slipping in this area. You, you need to maybe change something. And Proverbs, or Psalms 119.11 says, hide God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against God. 
when we hide God's word in our heart, when we study his word and we memorize God's word, then we know what it says, and we're like, oh, yeah, I remember that verse that says I shouldn't be talking bad about my neighbor. Maybe I should stop, right? That's that immediate feedback happening. And John 15, 4 says, abide in Jesus. Remain in me, and I will remain with you. He's saying actively, abide is an active word, it's a verb, actively stay connected to Jesus. When we do those things, we're, we're creating our culture in our lives of immediate feedback of people in our lives that are pointing us back to Jesus. You have, to, here's the thing about feedback, you have to ask for it. People most of the time, aren't just going to walk up to you and say, hey, I saw you sinning the other day. You should stop, right? No, you have to actually go to trusted people in your life that also know God's word, have the same values, and are, are trying to live the way God wants them to live and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can, can we just talk to each other about this maybe even once a week? Ask for that feedback. Don't wait for it to come to you. The third thing that causes us to fall into complacency is our habits. Habits that don't push us forward lead us into complacency. When we don't challenge our mind and body to be obedient to what we know is right, we set ourselves up to compromise, to compromise our values, to compromise our lifestyle. And we comp when we compromise our health or our values, our lifestyle, and our health, it puts us closer and closer and closer to complacency. When we just continue to make one more exception to the rule. Just one more day that we, uh, I'll get to it tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll get in God's word the next day. I was just so busy this morning. When we put those things off, and it's not just Bible reading or whatever, it's, it's literally our values, your lifestyle, even our physical health, those things push us towards complacency in our relationship with God. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What are patterns? Patterns are habits. That's what your habits are. They're patterns of the way you've lived your life. Sometimes they're not even conscious, right? You did something without thinking. You went to go out of the house, and you probably didn't stop and think, do I have shoes on? Oh, good. Whew. Right? My kids do that because it's not a habit yet. Right? As adults, we remember because it's a habit, we should put shoes on before we leave the house or they won't let us into the store to get groceries. So I've been told. Um, so, but if, you're, if your habits aren't contributing to your growth, then they are contributing to your decline. There's not this middle ground of like habits that don't do one or the other. Your habits are either pushing you forward and helping you get closer to God, or your habits are pulling you away. There's not a middle ground of like habits that don't do either. <laughs> you are either getting closer to God or you're not. And when you're not, you're going the other way. So your habits need to change. And that, those, this is where it gets practical. This is where your lifestyle changes and where your lifestyle transforms. The verse in Romans says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You renew your mind by your time with God. Um, so why is all of this important? Because when we live a complacent life, we are useless. Our faith in Jesus may save us, but we aren't living out our intended purpose. The transformation of our lives and habits 
doesn't need to precede salvation, okay? Sometimes people say, I don't want to go to church because I'm just not good enough yet. That's not the truth. Everybody is accepted at church. People don't come to church because they don't want to feel judged sometimes. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, there is no judgment, no condemnation, just love. But when we choose to make Jesus the Lord of our lives, and we experience his mercy, his, his kindness, the Bible calls that his salvation, what happens next must include our transformation, right? If you say you love somebody and you want a relationship with them, your actions and your lifestyle should prove it. When it doesn't, it's not a relationship and it's not love. When we accept God's free gift of salvation, his mercy and his kindness, it should transform our lives. His, the Bible says his kindness leads us to repentance. Meaning he's not, he's not the God in heaven that's listing out your sins and saying, hey, uh, you didn't say sorry for this. Hey, you didn't say sorry. His, he's there loving you. And when we experience that, we experience that love that's like, I'm not living right. And I just want to be with you, God. I just want to live the way you want me to. So complacency may not keep us from salvation, but it will always keep us from our mission to live like Jesus. And how can we expect to carry out the mission of telling the world about the way of God when we won't even fully follow the way of God? We won't completely sell out to the cause of Christ. And it comes down to this. Our call as Christians is not to be people that like Jesus. Our call is to be people that are becoming like Jesus. That's our call as Christians. So how do we battle complacency? We take these three things that we kind of talked about and we flip them around. So our habits, we take captive our habits and we make them obedient to Christ. That's the first way to battle it. 2 Corinthians 10.5, habits originate in our thoughts. But they are almost subconscious thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Our habits originate in in our thoughts. To start battling complacency, we first have to start watching our daily habits and routines. Are we making room for God in our lives? Is our life even based on God? Or is he just kind of like this side dish, right? Jesus wants to be everything to us. So take captive your habits. Also, get good and consistent feedback on how you live your life. God's kindness leads us to repentance, and when we love someone, we want to stay, show them that in the way we live our lives. The Holy Spirit, part of God, part of the Trinity, is the Bible describes it as our comforter, the Holy Spirit is also the voice of conviction, or some may call it your conscience, right? Um, it's that thing in your lives that tells you when you're not living and not lining up with God's word. So he is our comforter. He is our peace. But he also needs to be that voice in our lives that says, hey, you, you, we're not living the way we should. We're straying. We're taking one step farther away from God. Our habits today didn't line up with God's word. Let's do better the next day, right? It's never this condemnation of like, oh, failed again. It's just a challenge to say, hey, we we can do this. We're in this together. You are not alone. God's Holy Spirit is with you. 
leading you and guiding you as long as you let it. As long as you let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. It's not going to be that dog owner that's like yanking their dog down the street. Okay? The Holy Spirit is walking with you hand in hand, saying, let's go. We got this together. But you have to take those steps too. Right? Um, so get feedback. Uh, next, uh, put yourself in positions that force you to rely more on God. Don't be so self-sufficient, right? I'm going to ask our music team to come. When we put ourselves in positions to, to rely more on God, it forces us to, to give more to others, to listen and obey to God's voice, to sacrifice, give yourself and put yourself in positions where you're reminded of your need for a living God and Savior. Declare that daily, that God, I need you today and I can't do this without you. And tell yourself that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. There's no self-sufficiency in that verse. <laughs> it's saying, God, and when we lean on you, we trust in you, that's when we fully make our path straight. That's when our lives start to line up and live like Jesus. We need to push ourselves out of our comfort zone into the unknown, into fear even, right? When they were, when they were testing out all these airplanes, trying to make the, break the sound barrier, trying to even get off the ground, it was scary. People thought they were gonna die. People did die trying to break those, those records and break those things. But not because of, they didn't die because of the speed. They, they died because the aircraft wasn't fully ready for that next step. But they kept pushing. They kept trying. Don't settle in your walk with God for good enough. Because there's no such thing. There's no such thing as good enough. Christianity, our life, our faith walk with Jesus isn't a ladder that finally reaches a top. It's just a path. And we choose to walk in his way instead of walking in our own. People get so caught up and because they think of it as this hierarchically steps pattern leading us to heaven, that's not what it is. God just wants you to live with him, to rely on him, to not be self-sufficient, to, to challenge your body and your mind to put him first in your life. In the book of James, the, the author writes about faith and deeds or works. And he says, your faith may save you, but if it's not backed up by your works or your action, it is useless. And our call as Christians, again, is not to be people that like Jesus. Our call is to be people that are becoming like Jesus, to be used by God, to be useful, to be not lukewarm water that isn't used for anything, to be, to be hot, to be cold, to, to let God pull your uh, giftings out and say, this is what I want you to do. You're great with kids. I, I want you to go to Africa and start reaching those 43% of their nation that is children. You have an amazing gift of compassion. I want you to be, to be reaching homeless to people, be reaching lost people that have never heard about Jesus. Use those giftings for him.
We need to get out of a complacent and apathetic Christian life and jump fully into what God has for you. The music team is going to lead us in a song today, and it says these words. It says, I'm wholly surrendered. That's 100%, everybody. I'm wholly surrendered. It says, my life is a vessel. Saying, God, my life is not my own. I'm not self-sufficient. I want you to put in me what you need. And then it says, you can have it all. You can have it all. My family, my job, my comfort. God, you can have it all. Whatever it is, call it out of me. The things that I've put above you, call it out of me. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. When you maybe you're even thinking of something right now, you're saying, I'm putting this in my life above God. We're going to take time today to surrender to Him. To not be apathetic, useless Christians anymore. But to be people that are sold out to God. What could God do in Sock Center and the surrounding areas with a church that was 100% sold out to God? With people that didn't just show up to church, but people that were the church when they walked out. What could, what could God do with you tomorrow? even today, by just saying, God, would you use me? Let it be inconvenient. Let it be challenging. Let it be scary. But God, I just want you. I want you this morning to take action, to not just have come to church and listen to someone say words from the Bible, but I want you to actually take physical and mental action today to show God and show yourself that you are going to live a sold out life to God. That could be stepping out of your seat and worshiping. Maybe you've, you've never even sang as we've said a worship song up here, or you've never even said the words and God just wants you to sing to him. Maybe you're like, I'm not a singer. It doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about your heart. It could be kneeling at the altar and seeking more of God. Our youth, junior high students got back from a camp and every night they were up at the front. The reason that they have these stories of saying God spoke to me, God did this, is because they got out of their seat and they asked God to speak to them. If we don't do that, we're not ready for that, then God's not going to be able to speak to you. He's a gentleman. He's not going to yell over your head and be mean about it. He wants you to ask. And he wants you to show him that you're ready. So make this a moment of that, that speed radar sign where you check your heart. Say, am I living the way they're talking about today? Am I living the way God's word shows us? So they're going to sing this song. Would you guys stand with me? And I hope that maybe God has already put in action in your mind. Maybe it's writing something down. Maybe it's kneeling at your seat or at the altar. Maybe it's just simply lifting your hands in worship. But I want to challenge everybody in this place to, if this is resonating with you and you'd say, you know what, I'm not there. I'm not there, okay? I need to continually to check myself of self-sufficiency. We are all there. But if this is resonating with you, would you take action this morning? God, we, we ask you to speak to us, to lead us and guide us, change our hearts, change our thoughts. God, we give our habits, our comfort, 
our everything to you. And God, we say you can have it all. Would you guys just hold your hands out like this with me today? It's just like as a sign of, God, I want more from you. God, we, we give it all to you. You have our attention this morning. And so God, right now we pause and we ask you to speak. Would you call someone in this room this morning to missions? Would you call someone this morning to give more than they've ever gave? To further your kingdom. Would you call someone this morning to talk to their coworker about Jesus tomorrow? God, would you speak? We are ready to listen and hear from you. Um, don't let this stay in this place today. If God spoke something to you, write it down. Talk to someone about it. Take action on what God has spoken to you today. If you want God to continue to speak to you, continue to be obedient. Continue to follow him and his leading. If you're like, I don't feel like God spoke anything to me, continue to read his word because he's always speaking. Continue to challenge yourself to line yourself up more with God's word and the way he outlines there. Start a Bible plan this today. Talk to someone about it. Maybe you're like, I don't know where to even start reading the Bible. Talk to someone about it. We have a whole church of people here that love you and want to see you go further in your life with Jesus. But maybe you're here in this place today and you're like, you know what? I've never, I've never given my life to Jesus. You've been talking this whole day about what it's like to live a life for God. And I don't even know what that means. Maybe you've, You've heard about Jesus before. Jesus was God's son. He died on the cross to take our sin, that punishment for our sin, so that we could have a relationship with, Jesus, with God, to be in heaven with him, to have this amazing experience with him. And if, if that's you today and you say, you know what, I, I want this, I want what you're talking about. I wanna, I wanna have purpose in my life. I want to live for Jesus. I, I want to get rid of my sin, and I want to be right with God. If that's you today, would you guys close your eyes and, and bow your heads? And if that's you today, would you simply raise your hand? And we're going to pray together in just a moment. Awesome. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never asked him to clean you of your sin. Awesome. We're all going to pray together. Would you guys simply repeat this prayer after me? It's not magic words or, or something we've written down. It's just from our hearts. When you say these words, you pray these words to God, right? It's your heart connecting with, with God's heart. Dear God, thank you for loving me, for sending your son to die for me. I confess my sin to you. Please take it. Forgive me and help me live for you. God, you can have it all. Help me live sold out 